0: Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Amen, amen. You you could all be seated. Thank you so much for the warm greeting there. I'm just excited to be with all you fine folks this morning, and especially those joining us online. We don't forget about you either. Amen. We want to thank you for joining us. But how many excited to be in the house of God this morning? Man, it feels good. Especially just coming off our, our community event last night, it was, just been, it was just an amazing event. To see people, you know, in the community come, the excitement, people, you know what? People are wonderful. God's creation is so beautiful, you know? And, and we can come across people that, and to us they're strangers, but if you could start looking at people as, as God intended them. As God intended it to be, his creation, the warmth of it. I was talking with people yesterday, and they were just so excited that we were just out there. And, you know, I see kids getting prizes and, like, literally, like, they, oh, my God, I won something. And it just made me feel warm inside, man. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what it's about. This is what it's about, man, just reaching people. And so... Um, well, you have me for the next five hours. I have a long message for you guys. And uh, I want to thank Pastor Omar and Sister Letty, who are on vacation for giving me the opportunity to come speak um, and, and just minister. This is a dream of mine, to preach on a Sunday night at my church, Oh, Sunday morning at my church. And um, uh, I'm just excited to do it. And I, I never thought, I'm going to be honest with you, I never thought I would be up here. So if you're out there and you're thinking, you know what, I don't think I could ever do that, you're wrong. That's a lie from the devil. And you know, the, word gave, the Lord gave me a word earlier this week that, um, I didn't put it in my sermon, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, and, and I was just thinking about everything, how the enemy tries to divide, uh, since the beginning he tried to divide you know, our, our people, and he tried, he did it through, he tried to do it through Moses, he tried to do it through David, and how, how David was tempted, he fell into adultery, Moses was a murderer, that the enemy is just creeping on everybody, it doesn't matter title, it doesn't matter anything, the enemy's there to destroy, and, and God gave me this word that, you know, this week, that, that the enemy wants your bloodline, he doesn't want just your soul, he wants your family. He wants your bloodline, he wants your parents. He wants your children. He wants all of that for himself. Because if he can't get to you, he can get to them. That's a way to take you out. And that's been the enemy's, that's been his, his objective the whole time. And as we're in this series called Timeless, it's really us examining principles that aren't concrete, but principles that we should have in our life. And so Pastor Omar, he starts been starting off this series with this quote. This is what he says. He says, your belief determines your behavior, and your behavior is what you become. And inside there, you ever hear this this quote that the devil is in the details? He's in those details in your life where he's going to try to distort you just a little bit. He's going to kind of jack you up. And so we're we're given this verse for this series in Proverbs chapter 3. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I'm gonna say it again. Do not be wise in your own eyes. How many know that we sometimes make decisions and we think, hey, this feels feels right. This is the right decision, but you know, you come to find out it was a wrong decision, right? But we shouldn't live on our own wisdom. The word invites us from a fractured soul into a perfected one. This is what I love about my ancient text, my Bible. I call it my ancient text, okay, because it's withstood the the test of time. The Word of God is timeless. The principles found in here are timeless. And so when we begin to unpack the Bible, we really get this invitation from Christ to be like Him. What other Savior, what other God wants us to do that? But only only Jesus invites us to do that. We're fractured, we're broken, and we get in the way of our decisions, but Christ still invites us to be like him. I'm jacked up, I'm messed up, everything is wrong with me, my life is not in order, I have no control. But Christ still invites you to be like him. He's saying, look, even though you're jacked up, you're messed up, you're fractured, I still want you with me. And so today I wanna talk about self-control. And self-control is one of those things where we're just like, you know what, um, I think I have it, but then when you're in the moment, you realize you don't, right? It's in the details, right? But we're fractured, we're broken, and it's self-control, you know, I, I saw this quote that self-control is one of the most neglected practices in the church, so with that, I'm just gonna pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just be with us this morning, Lord, to even those watching online, that they would feel your presence, that the words I read from your holy scriptures would begin to penetrate the souls and the minds of those listening. Father, we pray for transformation this morning, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. When I think about self-control, I realize that it, it, it really is, a, is, a, is an image of what's in your heart. In other words, it starts internally, and then what happens is it manifests itself externally. But there's something that self-control, the, the way to combat self-control is composure. Turn to your neighbor and say composure. See, composure is the same way. It starts internally, and it manifests itself externally, right? Um, I remember, I, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a documentary I like, I think I shared this, I don't know if it was in a sermon or one of my classes. There's a documentary I like, I like called The Last Dance, okay, And it's about Michael Jordan. It's about the the Bulls, okay, for where they're making their championship run. And they started talking about Michael Jordan and they said that he actually would not really get nervous before games, I'm like, how is that even possible? He's played in like these heavy games, like these championship game seven, and he wouldn't get nervous. And he's, you see like in this documentary, he's actually relaxed before the game in the locker room. He's joking around. And it's like, wait a minute, man, you gotta, you gotta focus. Like you have something big coming up. And so what begins to take place is they started to ask him questions and he would not think about the game. He would actually just live in the moment. He would stay focused, live in the moment, no distractions, but he would just live one moment at a time. They asked him, well, what about in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line? How would you make that shot? He goes, I would actually just vision myself. I would just play it in my head, me just making the shot and nothing else. And that was him keeping his composure. I remember when I first became a Christian, someone reminded me, they said, hey, listen, guard your mind because it's the gateway to your heart. Has anyone heard that before? You guard your mind because it's the gateway to your heart. And I realize that if you're not you know, putting in the good stuff, you're probably putting in the bad stuff in your mind. And it begins to distort your heart. So whatever enters into here ends up down in here. And then when we're in a circumstance, we just kind of... Let go. We have a, you know, we just kind of throw a tantrum or we kind of just, our emotions get the best of us. But without self-control or without composure, we start to hurt those around us. We fall into sin. We fall in love with all kinds of addictions. I mean, oh, those of us that have been addicted to things, self-control is far from what's on your mind, Right? Whatever substance, or it could even be pornography, whatever that is, it is far from your mind. It just completely dilutes your self-control, and this is the enemy being in those details. In other words, self-control, if you don't have self-control, it'll start to destroy your life. If you just react to things how you normally react to things, or like, you know, you're just responding to an emotion, it starts to destroy your life. You're not really thinking about what you should be doing. You're just reacting on how you're feeling. But Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So self-control is a standard of producing good fruit in one's life. So if you're trying to measure yourself, right? How am I doing spiritually? Well, you measure yourself by the fruits of the Spirit, but also by your self-control. Jesus also reminds us in Matthew chapter seven, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So I'm gonna remind you this morning, your self-control, it starts with having composure in your life. And composure, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's the state or feeling of being calm and control of oneself. How many have been through circumstances in your life and you realize that you're probably losing control? It could be the death of a loved one. The sobbing, the pain, the depression starts to hit you and it, it, it just cripples you. The depression starts to cripple you. Or maybe you, you struggle with anger a little bit. You know, you get into a fight with your spouse and it starts to just weigh on you and it kinda takes you what we would look like out of character, right? Your emotions f- have this heavy, heavy weight on you, and it determines sometimes how you react. There's a, a famous quote, I was talking to Pastor Isaac about this quote in the, in the pastor's office, and I think it's been said here before, but it says, always behave like a duck. Keep calm and unruffled on the surface, but paddle like the devil's underneath it. In other words, you flee, right? Be calm, but understand that underneath the surface, you're running because the devil is right there, right? Like you're just, but you're keeping your composure. See, I wanna tell you, maybe you don't understand this concept that the enemy wants you. He wants you. He wants to take you away from what you're doing with Christ. He doesn't want you sitting in church this morning. The enemy doesn't want you praising, lifting your hands, worshiping. The enemy doesn't want you building community in your life, especially spiritual community, right? When people ask, why do you go to church so much? You tell them, well, I need need brothers and sisters in Christ around me, right? I'm not saying that you can't have friends in the world or anything like that, they need you, right? But at the same time, you need the church, amen? So there's several reasons why we lose our composure. I wanna go over just several reasons why we lose. I'm gonna go through these quickly. Number one, if we're, if we're losing our composure and we can't find self-control, it's probably because we aren't allowing transformation to take place in your life. See, one thing I tell everybody is the Word of God is designed to transform you. So when you read it, you know, maybe no one ever told you this, but when you read it, it's not just a story. It's a story with the intention to transform you. It's a story to tell you who God is. It's a story to tell you, you know, the characteristics of God so you can have a relationship with him. So when you open up God's word, it should start to transform you. Now, I know people that read God's word and they experience something in their heart and they don't know how to explain it. Right, because it is a living text. I, I don't know if you know that. It's a living text. It's alive. In other words, it's going to stir up your emotions. It's going to affect you a little bit as you're reading it. You may see a tear every now and then, even from those of us from the streets. Right, we're, suddenly we're not tough anymore when we're reading God's word, because it starts to make our heart all mushy and soft. Right, but when you start to read God's word, it should come out. You, it should come at, after you, and it should start to transform you. When I first became a Christian, I did not understand this concept. So what I would do is like, whoa, okay, let's put, it, let's put this away for a second. As I started to read God's word, like, oh, why am I getting all buttery? What's going on here? And I would just put it away, like, well, why, is, why does it feel this way? Like, no, I, I, Bible makes me feel bad. Well, it's supposed to make you feel bad a little bit. Okay? I was teaching a, a Reach Bible Institute, And one thing I love about the word of God is it doesn't hold back even in its failures. For example, we see Moses murdered somebody, right? We see David fall into adultery. But these are heroes in God's scripture falling into these sins. You wanna know why? Because the Bible tells the truth. When you start to read it, it's gonna start to tell the truth about you. And that's where the transformation comes. When we read it, the conviction, sometimes we don't want that conviction to hit us. So we guard it. And we say, oh no, I don't think that's what it's saying. I'm just being emotional. Or I'm just, you know, and I, I don't like that. I think there's some Christians walking around today and they say, well, you know, they frown at emotion. And I'm like, well, God's gonna break you down. When you start to read the Bible and you start to follow Christ, he's gonna start to break you down. He's gonna start to, to kind of jack you up a little bit because you've come fractured and he needs to fix you. And this becomes a renewal of the mind. And we've said, we've talked about this before, but just to review with you, there's several pillars to salvation. The first pillar pillar is the, the past. In other words, you are justified. It means you invited Christ into your life and you said, Lord, I believe in you and I want you to take over my life and I'm going to serve you, Father. So that's you saying, I have been justified. Now there's sanctification, which is the present. It's the present time period. I'm with you in this time period. This is the sanctification, remaining holy, learning how to be holy. Then there's glorification. We praise God because of that. And then then one day we're gonna be up in heaven worshiping with him. This is how salvation is worked out. And you begin to fall in love with the things of God. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 22, it says this, to put your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I'm gonna say that again, to be renewed in the spirit of what? Your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You are a new person. When you accept Christ, you've been justified. You are now entering into a new life and now you're a new person. When you are baptized, you're going down, right? Those of us have been baptized, right? You go down, full submersion, and then coming back up in resurrection, just like Christ resurrected from the the grave, coming back up into new life. This is new life. When you read the Bible, it should give you a renewed mind with new life. And so allow the transformation to take place so you can have some composure in your life. Amen? The second thing is we, need, we give in to our bad feelings. We love that, right? I'll be honest with you. I'm a big football fan. My team played on Thursday. So I can rest today. It's those of you that are big football fans, know what I'm talking about. But I'm on the edge of my seat. I lose my composure, okay, I do, I get into it. I get in the game, people are talking to me, I'm not even listening to them, I'm just watching the game. You know, I'm really rude, I could be rude. I, you know, I realize that. But I get locked in, or my Lakers, I'm still praying for them. I get upset, and I'll even text Pastor Isaac, yeah, we're dumb. We're terrible this season. And, you know, we, we vent to each other. I mean, you know, and, but during the game, I'm like, oh, I'll grab my head, like, that was such a bad idea. You know, like, and you get so mad at them. You may even yell at a certain player's name. Man, we got to get rid of that guy. You know, and, and you just lose composure. You're reacting to these bad feelings. You know, I, I, I think about society how they tell us you need to do what you feel. You know, just do what you feel. And that scares me, because I think we're all wicked in some way. And if we did what we felt, we would probably hurt each other a lot. I think it would be the downfall of the, of the of the modern church if we did what we felt. Uh, those of us that are in ministry know what I'm talking about. Don't act all holy. We're in ministry, right? We we could be like in ministry. We're gonna. There's some friction there with people. We got to work with people that are very different than us, come from different backgrounds, right? And so, you know, we start to rub each other the wrong way. We can't do what we feel. We gotta have composure. Um, But what society's telling you is do what you feel. But here's the problem, you can have a wrong feeling. Can I be honest with you? You can have a wrong feeling. And I don't think society says that enough, right? I don't think they do. But you can have a wrong feeling about something. In other words, you're feeling a certain way, guess what, you're wrong. You know, when, when, when two guys need to have a talk, a conversation, a deep one, because we've offended each other, men know what I'm talking about, right? We, we've offended, we have to, hey, we need to talk. We don't like each other right now, so we need to talk. Right, we have to, we have to watch what we say, right? And we have to have some self-control in that conversation. And sometimes someone walks away saying, hey, look, I felt that way. And then someone's gonna say, you know what? I, that was not my intention to make you feel that way. But we had a, you know, you could have a wrong feeling. Someone can tell you something because they're having a bad day and you get a wrong feeling about it. You're actually wrong about that. And it's okay, it happens. You know, but be able to. To admit that in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, it says, this, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So, those of us that say, Hey, look, I've, I've accepted Christ already. I've already, you know, I've already lived out my salvation. I know what I want in ministry. I've accepted Jesus. I've been made right. I've been put together. I've been fixed. He's fixed all my problems. I now serve the Lord. I worship. I pray. My life's in a good area. But did you know that you could still live unrighteously? We're capable of regression in our thinking. And I think sometimes we got Jesus, we're just like this. We're like, yeah, we got this. Like, we're all tough and good, and I got, I got the Lord. Nothing bad can happen to me. And it's like, no. You could still have unrighteous thinking. You could still have unrighteous feelings. You could still feel entitled. You could still feel depressed lost from a loved one, a circumstance can come because the enemy knows that you're capable of regressing in your thinking. That's why we say guard your heart. That's why we say, look, be at church. It's not because, oh, hey, you know, I, I don't need to be at church. You know, I, I go to Reach Bible Institute. I know God's word. I'm like, let me, let me be honest with you. Even pastors need church. Okay, I need church. Therefore, you need Church. We need that, we need to be seasoned. We need to be anointed. We need to walk with Jesus, we need to have the Holy Spirit walking with us and we need that to, get, to give him invitation. He's invited us to be like him, we should invite him back, come walk with me, amen? amen. The next thing is, we lack spiritual maturity sometimes. This is an important one because I don't think everyone understands this. You need spiritual maturity. We know what just regular physical maturity is, right? We know what maturity is, right? But then there's spiritual maturity. This is part of the sanctification process in salvation. That we are made to be constantly bearing fruit, as the word of God would say, right? In Galatians, the verse I just read to you. This is something that we are living out. It is bearing fruit. We need to continue to produce good fruit in our lives. In Colossians chapter three, verse one through five, it says, even then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are here on earth. For you have died. Let's read that again. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That old life, gone. But you could still have a bad feeling. You could still lose control. But you have to understand that you have to be put to death in your own life, and raised to new life. Amen? Once you do that, once you have that understanding, you'll start to realize, I need to act different. I gotta stop acting this way. You mess up, listen, we're all gonna mess up, even in our Christian walk. It's okay to mess up. You need to learn how to apologize. Number one, apologize, okay? You lose control? right, you lack self-control, you, you're gonna be really good at apologizing in order to move forward, okay? How many love apologizing like all the time? If you don't love apologizing, then don't lose self-control, keep your composure, amen? Because that's what God is looking for, he's looking for composed, he's looking for spiritual maturity, people that understand that we have died and now we have new life. That's what Christ's expectation is from us, and nothing else, to understand that I've been made new. Probably one of the biggest signs of spiritual maturity is someone maintaining their composure in the midst of temptation. People are gonna poke fun at you. You walk into work, oh, you're at church again, huh? You know, people poking fun at you because you're a Christian. Have some maturity there. Just smile and nod. I love you too, even though you really don't. You're working that out, I get it but you tell them you love them. Say it enough times, you will, okay? I mean that, you say it enough times, you'll love somebody. You don't choose your family members, but you love them, right? You say it enough times, you'll love them. No, I'm gonna love that person. You make the decision to love them because I'm called to love them, because I've been renewed, amen? But I want to, I entitled this sermon, I know I'm kind of presenting the title a little bit late, the composure of Christ. Because I want to examine Christ now. And I told you how we lose composure, right? But now I want to examine the best example we could ever have in our lives. I want to examine Jesus. Is that all right this morning? All right, so one thing I want to examine is his composure. He was composed, man. He was cool, all right? Some people say, well, you know, he, was in the he started flipping tables and the money changers. Think, well, that, there was a reason for that. Okay, but for the most part, he was composed, and he's composed in front of his disciples because he knows if he keeps his composure, his disciples will keep their composure. Okay, so he keeps his composure. Remember, your kids are watching. Remember, the, the enemy's trying to grab your bloodline, right? He's trying to, he's trying to go after your family. Remember, keep your, your, your control, right, because your family's watching, right? You ever have family members like, oh, they're going to church? Let's see, okay, let's see what their life's like. They're looking for fruit. Even though they don't come to church, they understand the concept. Like, okay, oh, okay, so-and-so's fighting with their wife. Oh, I thought they'd go to church, though. See, that's why I don't go to church, it don't work. Remember, you're a reflection of the church, of the body of Christ, right? But Christ gives us a great understanding of composure. In John chapter 18, we see the arrest of Jesus. This is a, a very, very heavy situation. And I'm going to read these verses with you, and, I'm going to, and I want to be able to bring some things out of this passage today, which is our main text, John 18, verse 1 through 11. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Well, this is a heavy uprising, right? Just to find Jesus. And verse four says, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, I'm gonna read that again. This is important. Verse four, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So quickly, just to review. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. As a matter of fact, if you know your timeline and what's happening there, the upper room had just taken place. He already had told them, I'm gonna be arrested and I must go so that the, the Holy Spirit can come. So Jesus knew that this was going to happen to him. He knew that Judas was gonna be the one to betray him. But Jesus says two quotes that kept his eyes on the goal. Two quotes that helped him keep his composure. The first one was, I have not lost one. One. I have not lost one. He says, let them go. And he's, what he's saying is, I'm fulfilling my purpose. I'm not gonna lose any of my sheep. And he says, I have not lost one. Then the next one is, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? In other words, this is part of the plan. I'm part of this plan. I need to do this. I don't know about you, church, but I would lose my mind if I understood what was going to happen to me. This was no secret. This is what the Romans did. Crucifixion, the worst way to die, known to man. It is torture, it's not an instant death. It is a suffering that takes place. But he knew that that was the cup that was given to him. I'm gonna ask the production team, can you please put that photo up? If you guys know in in class, I don't know if you could see this. I want you to take a look at this photo. There's a lot happening in this picture. This is a painting from an Italian uh, painter. His name is uh, Caravaggio. And it was painted in about the 1600 AD. So about the, fifth, you know, it's painted a long time ago. But I want you to take a look at Christ's composure in this photo. If you notice, Christ's hands are still in a state of crossed, even though he's being betrayed at this moment. This is a picture of the arrest you could see that this is Judas getting really close to his face. This is what the Bible says as he betrays Jesus with a kiss. But it also shows us that in scripture, he's identifying that that is Jesus to the soldiers. So then the soldiers are going after him. But look at Jesus' composure, look at his hands. Look at his eyebrows, look at his face. Look at everything that's happening to him. You could see that even in this photo, you see that this is John here. John is like terrified. He's got his hands up. Okay, and some people believe, some scholars believe that you see like their heads are kind of meld together. Meaning, possibly this is what Jesus was feeling on the inside, but externally, he's keeping his composure. And so you look at this photo, and you could see a lot there. This is potentially... Cavaggio as Peter. This is what he looked like. Kind of put himself into the painting. And you can see Peter's kind of with like, you know, because Peter was kind of wishy-washy, like some of us. Let me hold the lantern. Right? Oh, I'm with you guys. Oh, you gotta, yeah, get him, get him. Right? Quickly abandon Jesus Right, no, but there's Peter, right? And so we see this, this heavy, heavy painting, but you could see that Jesus is still composed. And he's got his hands, and this, this motion here is telling me that he's like, everything's gonna be okay. I'm not gonna put my fists up. I'm not gonna raise my hands. I'm not gonna fight this, because this is the cup that was given to me. So what does that tell us? It tells us that Christ was a man of composure, but how did he keep this composure? Because he went through a lot, right? For example, Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, right? But he kept his composure. Even through there, he started to quote scripture right at the enemy, right? We see that Jesus feeds the 5,000. He keeps his composure because he only has a certain amount of loaves. He only has five loaves of bread, but he's gotta feed 5,000 people. Keeps his composure. He demonstrated faith. When the religious leaders tried to kill him, He knew that they were trying to kill him. He didn't raise his fists. As a matter of fact, he just kind of walks by and he sneaks out. Jesus had every reason to fight back, but he wouldn't do it. He went through six trials, three stages in a religious court and then three stages in a Roman law court. Kept his composure each time. The crucifixion, now this is my, this is the one that jacks me up the most. The crucifixion, when I think about the crucifixion, I think about the whippings that he took, and then he decided, you know what, I'm going to go through with this because this is the cup that my father's given me. I'm going to go through with this. I'm going to continue to walk in suffering and pain. If that was me, I would play dead right before I got to Golgotha. I can't do it anymore. I tap out. But he didn't tap out. What did he do? He kept his composure. What did he, how did he, how does he do this? See, in order to keep your composure, what Jesus understood is he understood his value. Church, you have to understand your value. You have to understand your value. You're not who you were. Christ is now in you. You have something inside of you now that can conquer every circumstance that the devil throws at you. You are now living a new life. You now have Jesus inside of you. Therefore, you are valuable. When the world spits you out of their mouth, Jesus said, come to me. You have something inside of you. You should walk in that. Understand that. In John chapter 15, verse one to five, Jesus says this. This is how he understands his value. I love Jesus because he's, he's, so, he's so like passionate. He says, I am the, I am the true vine." I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3 says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You are already clean. You have already been fixed. You've now accepted it. You are now valuable. It says this, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. You are a part of his kingdom. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's everything. Not only do you allow him to transform your life, but you need to understand you now bring value. Guess what, when you don't allow him to transform your life, you're not gonna see the value in your own life. If you can't value your own life, how are you gonna value your spouse's life? If you can't value your own life, how are you gonna value your, your children? Remember, you have value. Let that keep you composed. Jesus knew who he was and he walked in that confidence. You, some of you need to walk in confidence. You need to walk with that confidence that Jesus is inside of you. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness before his arrest, Matthew 4, 8 through 10, again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, all these I will give to you. If you fall down and worship me, then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. See, some of us could be sellouts in our faith. We get a little temptation like, Oh, yeah, let me fall into that one. That sounds pretty good. Lord, give, you know, some of you, you, like, the moment you get temptation, you don't flee. You just kind of look at it. You marinate in the temptation. You start thinking about it. You have no self-control. Remember, it starts here. But you have no self-control. You just continue to marinate in it, right? It starts to stew up. You know, when we get in, in, in fights with our spouses, you start to go back to the past. Will you, and you say things like, well, you always do, or you'd never do, these heavy words that we put in our marriage sometimes, right? In Matthew chapter four, uh, oh no, I already read that verse, sorry. I, went, sorry, I messed that up. But Jesus, we see, even though in the midst of temptation, he saw his value, he understood the goal, and he kept his mind on that. He didn't, delineate from it, but he kept his mind on the goal. The second thing he did is he knew truth, but he stood for faith. This is a heavy one. You know truth, but you stood to faith, right? You're gonna stand for faith. In other words, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, in Matthew chapter 14, I'm just gonna paraphrase it really quickly, but when Jesus feeds the 5,000, all the disciples were like, looking at each other, because he says, no, 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 don't let them go, let's feed them. And the disciples are like, "Well, wait a minute. We only have these five loaves of bread." Jesus goes, "No, no, no. Give them to me." And so he takes the loaves, and all of a sudden, everyone's fed, all five thousand, and they had loaves left over. The Bible says. And so Jesus understood that we only have five loaves, but you see his reaction. He keeps his composure, and he understands. He understands, church, that he needs to have faith. There are Christians today that believe in the Bible, but they don't believe in miracles. This is mind blowing to me. When you read the Bible, what is inside of it? Nothing but miracles. But we have Christianity today We say, well I don't believe in miracles, I've never seen a miracle. I'm like the Bible's a historical document that documents miracles. Miracle after miracle it is documented. That's the irony of our behavior. We think that God cannot rescue us sometimes. See, miracles are a proof that Christ is the Savior. But guess what? Christ is a proof that there are miracles. It's that circular reasoning that should get inside of you that give it. I gotta give God praise because I know it doesn't matter if I get told I got cancer. I know that my God is a God of miracles. I know that my scriptures they automatically tell me I'm healed. That's the faith that you need to have. But when you don't value yourself, you don't allow the word to transform you, you're gonna lose self-control. Even in the medical field, it's those that are uplifted, those that are upbeat, those that have faith. Even in the midst of a bad report, they're able to defeat that report. That's why cancer does get healed. Diseases do get healed in the church. That's why people fill churches because they they have nowhere else to go. The medicine's not working. Guess what we do? We say, Jesus, I need you. And when you're dealing with something heavy, you need to understand that the Father's in control. This is what Jesus did. He knew that the Father was in control because he says, this is the cup given to me by my Father. Jesus understood he could keep his composure because the Father is in control. In John chapter 10, verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says this in verse 30. Listen, I and the Father are one. I love this because it tells me that Jesus was in constant communication with the Father. So much as he understood the mind of God. He understood the heart of the Father to the point where it gave him that self-control. It gave him understanding. In the midst of a heavy heart and a soul, Jesus is gonna talk to the Father. In John chapter 12, verse 27, this is what Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd stood there and and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus was in prayer when he had a heavy heart. And he says, now even when my soul is troubled, I'm gonna go to the Father in prayer. His composure was not just built on his flesh. His composure was built off of his spiritual maturity. His composure was built on something greater than the physical realm. His understanding went beyond the physical realm. He knew that miracles existed because he's performed them. The disciples had seen them. So he knows that this is not the last straw. My God has the victory. My Father has the victory. See, the problem that we have, church, is when we have a heavy heavy heart, maybe we got a bad report, maybe we lost a loved one, maybe we're in turmoil, right? Our, Our world is just shaken up. But when we have that heavy heart, the, sometimes the last thing we do is pray. And we let it build up. And when you let things build up, it's just pressure, right? Now, I have this cup here, right? You probably thought, well, wait a minute, right? So if I, if I hold this cup, this is a heavy cup. It's a mug, okay? But it's a heavy mug, and it's got water in it. Now, I can hold this mug. I can hold it for, I'm gonna, I'm, don't make fun of me. I time myself. This cup approximately weighs about three pounds with the water in it. This cup. If I continue to hold this cup and walk around with it, it's fine. I can I can manage it. But you know, I wait five minutes. This is gonna start to hurt a little bit. I'm gonna need to set it down. You know, and 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 this cup becomes very, very heavy. And it starts to ache my wrist. I feel I feel uncomfortable, right? Maybe even your my, my shoulder blade starts to hurt a bit because it gets heavy. And, and, and we don't realize that we're doing this with our circumstances. We continue to hold on to them, right? And we continue to just say, I got it. I got it. But even when Jesus was holding something heavy, he had to put it down. And you gotta give things up. You just got to give things up, church. You know, and, and, and you, you continue to hold this heavy weight in your life and you never want to put it down because you think you got it. Let me be honest with you. Be honest with yourself. You don't have the answer to everything. You could have the wrong feeling. You can have the wrong understanding. And yes, as I'm pretending to keep my composure even right now, This is getting really heavy. So I'm gonna put it down. We have to run to the Father. We have to be able to get on our knees and say, God, I'm going through a heavy situation and I need your help. We have to be honest with ourselves because if we don't, we could drop it. We could shatter our lives. We could blow it. We can, we can explode on each other. But see, if you get anything out of this servant, I want you to get this. Composure is not you being in control, but it's realizing that God is in control. That you can lift your hands in the darkest of days and say, God, I'm going through something heavy and I need you. Brother, sister in Christ, I need you. I'm going through something heavy. Can you pray with me? Can you help me out? And you're going to be honest with yourself and say, I need you, Lord. I need you. No one is exempt from the enemy attacking us. us. No one's exempt. Like I said as I opened up this sermon, he's after your bloodline. He's not just after your soul. He's not just that into you. He's into your family. He wants your whole bloodline. He wants to destroy legacy when we're trying to build it. He wants to attack you from every direction until he can get to you. The enemy is alive and well, and that scares me and it should scare you. So if I can have every head bowed and every eye closed as I close this morning. In our passage that I read to you where Jesus is being arrested it's, it seems like it's a very sad moment as a matter of fact when I looked at that painting I, I'm going to be honest I got very teary eyed and it, it made it, it just kind of made me a little emotional to, to look at that painting when, the, when I was just writing the sermon realizing what had happened but you know that moment wasn't meant to be sad because that moment brings victory And so those of you that may be going through a heavy time or maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about victory in a savior in every circumstance. That there is victory in your life even when you feel like you're in the midst of turmoil, even when you feel like your life has been thrown upside down, there is victory in your life. But that victory comes with a price, a price that my savior Jesus paid on the cross. We are in debt to him. And what he wants to do is he wants to fix every broken, every fractured life in this place and those watching online, he wants to fix it. And you can gain so much control when you relinquish the control to God. It doesn't just happen. You need to let the word transform you. We need to think above our emotions. We need to grow in spiritual maturity. We need to recognize our value. We need to have faith and believe in the miracles as as Scripture is documented. And we need to act like God is in control. But you can only do that when you understand and you've accepted that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. So I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. If you would like to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to lift your hand. Just lift your hand, is there anyone at all? I see that hand, amen, I see that hand, sis. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm not gonna embarrass you or anything like that. We, we just wanna celebrate with you. Anyone else wanna lift their hand? Just raise your hand right now. This is the most important part of our service. This is why we prepare sermons, why we have worship. It's because we want people to be touched by God. So if there's anyone at all, maybe you're feeling a tugging in your heart. You're feeling some emotion, maybe a a heaviness that has come upon you that you probably can't describe. I'm telling you right now, that's God speaking to you, telling you to lift your hand. Is there anyone else at all that would like to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior? Just lift your hand. Anyone at all, anyone else? Amen. Amen. What I wanna do right now is, for those of you that raised your hand, can you just look up at me? Sis, did you mean that? Amen, I'm gonna ask you to do one more thing. I want you to come to the front. I want you to come to the front, just come to the front, we're gonna have someone pray with you. Amen, let's give God some praise. Listen, this is a celebration. It's a celebration because God changes lives. God changes lives. And you know what? He's going to do a work. If you allow him to do a work in your life, he's going to fix those things. Is there anyone else? This is the last chance for this morning. Is there anyone else that wants to join in this call? Amen. Amen, sis. How you doing? What's your name? Nancy. God bless you. She's going to pray with you. Sandra's going to pray with you. Amen. She's going to lead you to the Lord. Listen, church. I want to do one other thing. Maybe... You know, maybe you're sitting there and you say, you know what, you could be honest with yourself and you could say, I don't have the self-control that I should have. I don't have the composure that I should have. Maybe you're dealing with something. Maybe you're dealing with some heavy emotions that you, you just have a hard time getting control over. I want you to come to the front. I'm gonna open up these altars. And what I want you to do, I want you to give God praise. I want you to praise. I want you to just begin to sing. And I want you to talk to God. I want you to be honest. Maybe you're sitting there and you say, you know, Pastor Rob, I don't see any value in my life. And I'm going to tell you that you have so much more value than you can actually see when you accept Jesus, when you give him praise. God sees you as a treasure. He sees you more than anyone else can see you as. He sees you as a treasure. He sees you as valuable. And you need to live and walk in that value so that you can overcome every circumstance, overcome any strategy that the enemy throws at you, anything that that is trying to tear you away from God's presence or his grasp. Begin to lift your hands. Begin to sing to him. Begin to talk to him this, this morning.